Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Previously on Mentally Yours. So, the Mental Health Act is the piece of legislation that says when you can be treated um, forcibly mm. in hospital. Sectioning, basically. Yeah, it's often described as being detained or being sectioned. That's the legal language that's used. It's used when people are deemed to be at risk to themselves or indeed other people. And usually that's when people are in times of crisis, for example, um, at risk of suicide or experiencing an acute psychotic episode, for example. It's mentally yours from Ellen and Hi everyone and welcome to Mentally Yours, Metro.co.uk's weekly mental health podcast. I'm Yvette. And I'm Ellen. And this week we're talking to Pragya Agarwal about art, mental health, postnatal depression... All the big stuff. So Dr. Pragya has set up a fantastic thing called the Art Tiffin. It's her way of helping people who may or may not have mental health issues. Basically, she's approaching it from a creative point of view. She's been through depression and anxiety herself, and she's found that being creative, art specifically, um, really helped her. So she set up this subscription service with the idea of potentially helping other people, adults and kids. Let's have a chat to her about that. For a long time, I didn't want to acknowledge how I was feeling. And so when I had my first daughter, I I went through a very traumatic pregnancy and childbirth. And after that, she was born in India. So there was a lot of support, uh, social support around. But mental health wasn't something that anybody talked about or postnatal depression. I didn't even know that there was anything like that. But I felt extremely sad and disconnected. And it went on for a few months. And I felt unusually just really low. And now when I look back, I feel that it was something that had affected my mental health quite a lot because of the um, trauma that I'd gone through. 
And it was surprising that nobody even discussed it or asked me how I was really feeling. And there was always this kind of uh, perception that if you have everything, there's nothing to be sad about. And then consequently, um, time moves on and um, I was in academia and I was um, it's, it's quite high pressured being in an academic environment. And you just get on and do things, but juggling parenting, family, work, life. I went through quite difficult a situation at work as well. Even then, I didn't acknowledge how it was affecting my mental health. But I was I constantly, I, I took a break from academia, but I faced severe anxiety for the first time and a kind of a knockback to my self-esteem from being a very confident person. I went to somebody who was really socially anxious and quite and I was facing depression as well. So I had to go to the GP and talk to them about it. From there, then I, it made me think more about what I was doing and why I was doing that. And I have written in Metro about how art and creativity really helped me during that period um, and how it helped me with my anxiety. And then I had my twins two years ago, and that was quite a difficult period. After that as well, exhaustion, stress, sleeplessness, um, just a lot of things. Then I actually, for the first time um, last year, I even mentioned it to my husband about that I was actually feeling like this and perhaps I need to talk about my mental health because before that, I always pretended that I was a super wonder woman and I would deal with everything. And if it wasn't visible, then there wasn't anything wrong with it. And I also believe that it's up to me to deal with it rather than having to talk to somebody about it. So that's kind of my background, mm. uh, which made me launch the social enterprise, the Art in last year. Mm. Did you say you only spoke to your husband about it last year? Yes. What made you hold back from talking to him about it? Um, just this whole persona that I'd created and this belief in myself that I could deal with anything that was thrown my way and I was really strong and I didn't want to show any sign of weakness. I felt like if I showed any sign of weakness then I know it was my responsibility to hold everybody and everything together in the family. So it it just didn't come not doesn't come naturally to me to show any sign of weakness. But um, I realized that talking about it actually made me feel better and sharing with him and about how he was feeling even as well, which made him open up a little bit more about how he had been feeling. So it was quite therapeutic. I think that's common for so many mums. Mm. Like my mum is the same, which is like, I have to be everything to everyone. I can't be upset because, you know, the family needs taken care of. Exactly. Mm. In terms of postnatal depression specifically, um, would you say that there's a marked difference in terms of the way that different cultures approach postnatal depression? I think that the fact that um, there is more awareness now, in, in, in even in cultures like in Indian societies, but still this new uh, campaign that I launched recently called Desi Mental Health, which is to break the stigma of mental health in um, Southeast Asian communities um, or British Asian communities, because there is still that stigma associated with silence around mental health illnesses, postnatal depression is something that is not acknowledged or talked about. Um, as I said, there's a lot of family because of extended families. There's a family support around women who, and that is really lovely because they had this period of rest and recovery and a kind of a break from all the social engagements. But that means that 
that they nobody really asks them how they're feeling because it's the focus is on the physical health and their recovery and the child and the bonding with the baby. So I do think that there is a huge stigma associated with that um, around that um, around mental health, and that's why I'm really keen to raise awareness of, um, and I'm talking to more people. Um, about it and see how what we can do to actually get people talking more about mental health in these communities as well. Why do you think there is still such silence around mental health in Asian communities? Um, I'm not entirely sure. And that's something that I really want to find out as well. Maybe just historically, nobody's talked about it or discussed it. But I do know that there is also there used to be a lot of stigma and silence associated around other conditions or other kind of disabilities, for instance, as well. And people don't usually talk about anything that's wrong in their families or anything. It's considered something that's an imperfection. And maybe it maybe there is this pressure because of the social uh, pressures that you have to portray a very perfect front in society or in your extended family. I'm not entirely sure, but that's something that I really want to investigate and explore. Do you think that there's any sort of differences still in the way that um, maybe people from Asian communities sort of find when they go to a GP? Do you think some GPs are still discriminating in some ways at all? Um, I'm I'm not sure. I'm, I'm hoping to speak to somebody, just talking to people on Facebook or uh, just in Facebook groups. It feels like there might be. Mm. It might be also that people don't even go to the GP because they feel that they have such a big family around them or such a support system that they can talk to people around them rather than going and discussing their dirty laundry in a way in front of others who are even a GP. Um, and I myself know it's not because I'm Asian or just because I just didn't want to talk to anybody about it. And I felt like, what's that person going to do? Or how is they, that person going to help me? It's up to me to deal with these feelings or emotions. And so I didn't even want to go and talk to my GP. My husband made me go and made several appointments for me and actually, in fact, forced me to go and speak to them. Um, but, um, yeah, and I do think that at times I felt like the GP didn't take me seriously, perhaps. Um, they are very pressured. They do probably see a lot of cases. And um, so when I mentioned about how I was feeling, the discussion was centered around my physical health or the physical health of my children or the fact that whether I had I could get some rest and whether I could take a break or whether I was working too hard or whether I was trying to do too many things, which made me feel even worse because I wasn't trying to do too many things. That was one thing that was trying to keep me sane, actually, by doing some things. And on one occasion, somebody asked me whether I wanted to kill myself and I had to rationalize it because I, I can be quite a rational person. And so I said, no, I don't think I will because these children rely on me. And that was it. And I felt kind of... That was the end of the discussion. So I think there needs to be more, I don't know, maybe more clear directions or training about what kind of support you can seek, where you can go and how we can talk about it. Mm. Did you receive counselling of any kind? Because sort of I've had friends who've had postnatal depression and it seems at the moment the kind of support they receive on the NHS is fairly limited, I would say. Mm. They'll sort of get a course of a certain amount of weeks. Did you receive anything like that or was it sort of fairly um, I didn't actually pursue it to be very honest I went and spoke to my GP a couple of times they asked me whether I needed any medication do you think they are said I said I would prefer not to if I didn't have to so I didn't take any and um, that was it I didn't actually go and talk 
to them. I did look up online um, and referred myself to a counseling um, service. And but life was so busy, I never got around fixing mm-hmm. an appointment. And I just felt they were good days. So on good days, you think everything's going to be okay now. Things are getting better. So then you just stop worrying about it and thinking about it. So that's and it is like another thing to add to your to do list to actually exactly. sort out therapy. Yeah. Mm. I can imagine if you're a new parent and everything. Yeah, you've got loads to sort out yeah. anyway. Yeah. And I think therapy takes time. And um, after I had the whole episode with workplace bullying and um, um, took up taking a break, um, we were not based where we are at the moment, but in a different part of the country. And I did get a couple of sessions and then, but I felt like it was half an hour. And by the time you start delving into something, time is over. And it was okay to talk to somebody, but unless you feel really comfortable with that person or form a connection, it's very difficult to just open up in that half an hour. Mm. So I felt like I hadn't made much progress. And then I just stopped after two sessions and cause it's this so pressured with time nobody really pursued it from my side or from their side so that was it so I don't know if people have um, the right resources about um, where they should go and who they should speak to or what they should really do and and things like that and what they can expect so I think that that needs to be clear. I'm really glad that you wrote for us about um, workplace bullying actually because I don't think that sort of gets enough articles sort of generally Mm. um i think there's still a perception that bullying is something that sort of finishes in the playground Mm. um you know like people talk about work stress and they might sort of say oh god i work with this person who's a right pain in the neck but they won't necessarily think about the fact that it can have a real it can really shake your confidence Mm. so yeah i was really pleased with the piece you did for us on that having gone through that experience because it sounds quite well it i'm sure it was quite traumatic the way that you described it sort of Bullying of any kind is is tough, but I think sometimes you think maybe it's something you'll leave behind when you're younger, but then to then face it again Mm -hmm. in adulthood is really challenging. What would you say to anybody who's going through a difficult situation like that now in the workplace? What I found was that it took me a long time to even accept or acknowledge or realize that that was happening because the natural inclination is to try and blame yourself because that's part of the bully culture. Um, You might think that you're imagining it and people don't mean it like that. And it's very difficult to explain to anybody what's really happening. So I I would say to somebody, trust your instincts and um, find support and, and talk to somebody who you can trust. Even if there's something that is bothering you about it, maybe yeah, it's worth talking to somebody about it, I think, generally. Mm-hmm. No, don't leave it too long because then it knocks your confidence really bad and you even find it even worse or even more difficult to talk to anybody or to, because it's kind of a vicious cycle. Um, the less confident you are, the more you feel like you, your work suffers, your productivity, your efficiency suffers. And which I think I didn't trust my instincts. And on several occasions, I felt like if I did a bit more, then things will be okay. Maybe I just need to do this and then things will be okay. Maybe it's my fault in some way. Maybe that person doesn't mean that really. Actually, I'm sure they don't mean it like that. 
but that's not the case i think so you mm. need to talk and get support um, human resources or anybody wherever you're working what did you do in your case am i right in thinking you basically you left yes. and you just walked away from it yes i mean the thing is i think sometimes you just have to mm. you know I for your own yeah. for your own health yeah and i think it was a very tough decision because when you work towards um for something for so long and you've put a lot of work and hours into it, um, your kind of identity or self-esteem is linked to that. And I talked a little bit about it in my TEDx talk as well about how that can really affect your confidence and um, you feel a loss of sense of direction because you've been working towards that. But as a family, we had to really sit down and make this decision because it wasn't just affecting me, it was affecting my whole family. My husband actually, for the first time, faced anxiety and depression and he had to go to the doctor as well and get medication because every time an email popped in, I'm into my inbox. Every time I had to go into work, I was crying and I was in, in a really, really bad state. I'd never been like that. Um, so we had to really sit down and make a decision about it, that it was the best thing for our family at that time. And then did you make a complete kind of career change as a result? Sort of, I think. Mm -hmm. I, I still um, was working part time, um, long distance. I was um, adjunct faculty for Johns Hopkins in the USA and I worked for Open University and I was mentoring, coaching other students from home. But because of the whole anxiety and social anxiety, I found it difficult. I, I found it easier to work from home. Um, that was one of the change that happened. And again, because I still associated my identity with that academic career, I always felt those things weren't really my career and I'm going to go back to it because everybody said you're a brilliant researcher and you need to go back to it and because it's such a waste that you're not doing that anymore. So I always felt like I, I need to go back to it because that's my career and that's what I'm supposed to do. But I, um, slowly I realized um, that that's perhaps it's okay to change career. And it's okay to change direction in life. And it's, it's it actually helped me step back a little and evaluate what I really wanted to do in life and where I felt passionate about and about making some, and doing something more meaningful mm. and making a positive change. So, and you yeah. did a TEDx talk, which is yes. incredible. Thank you. Very jealous. And also you set up the Art Tiffin. So can you tell us a bit about that, please? The Art Tiffin is a social enterprise, which um, kind of led from this. I was I had a creative studio and I was making line of prints and designing stationery and cards. But this desire to actually do something more meaningful and um, inspired by my own story and I kind of acknowledging my story and I'm acknowledging my journey was a huge step because I hadn't talked talk to anybody about it. But then I wrote this piece in The Guardian about myself and for the first time I was public about what I had gone through and it helped me take ownership of it, I suppose. Um, so the social enterprise was about making, raising awareness of mental health, donating to mental health charities. But this link between creativity and happiness and mental health was really crucial to me. So I did a lot of research in the neuroscience and psychology and the science of creativity and what happens in our brain and why does it make us feel happy and how it can support our mental health as well. Um, so that's one aspect of it, this, the social impact strand of it. The other aspect is about raising awareness of the vegan cruelty-free art materials because there's not as much awareness of it as compared to beauty products and food. And that kind of came about because my twins were born with numerous allergies and they were premature. So while I was doing printmaking and art, I felt always I couldn't really do because I felt like 
I need to find more natural alternatives. And slowly as I did more research, I found out that there were annual products in art materials and they were affecting our environment. So I was trying to find more eco-friendly art materials. So that's kind of the whole impact aspect of it came about. What yeah. made you go into art? Because I think a lot of people have this idea that you're either a science-y, like, logical type or you're an artist-creative type. How did you kind of make that sidestep? I think it's, yeah, that that's the misconception. And I, I do talk about that quite a lot because I think we're all born creative and um, creativity isn't just about doing art or painting or sketching or pottery, but it's about thinking outside the box and it's about um, forming links where others might not, about thinking innovatively. And scientists do that a lot as well. Think creatively is just... And and it's just a different form of creative and creative thinking. Yeah, and I talk again about that in my talk as well, about how I grew up in India where science and maths were the more traditional kind of intelligent subjects and, and the harder subjects. So I did that because that's what I should do. Um, and the medicine and engineering were considered the, the just the serious career paths at that point of time. But then I studied architecture, which was a completely interesting story about how I <laughs> went into it. Um, and it was just really good combination of art and science because it's, it's this overlap between it. And, and then I really, for the first time, started making these links between how creativity goes through as a thread through everything. And it's actually run through our society and it's a key to our evolution and it, uh, how our civilizations have evolved as well. So that kind of always was there with me. Um, we did a lot of creative projects at home, never thought about it as kind of, we just thought of it as a hobby, painting and sketching. I was always interested in this urban sketching because of... Then when I actually, from the link between creativity and mental health and about how it was really helping me stay calm and helping my anxiety um, and doing more research in the neuroscience and how other research has shown that uh, creativity has a domino effect that when this study at Stanford showed that when the students did this uh, creative exercise for 48 hours after that, they were happier. So it wasn't just the momentary thing. It kind of uh, moved into a while after you've done something creative. So that kind of made me start think more about creativity and how uh, actually we need to stop thinking about STEM and focus on science and technology, but more about STEAM education because children should be taught from a very young age to actually foster and nurture their creativity because they everybody's creative and children make such creative decisions from a very young age. But then they suddenly start thinking, oh, I'm not creative. I can't draw. I can't paint because there's all these judgments around uh, them or the curriculum is shaped like that. So um, part of the purpose of Artifin is also to encourage people to foster and nurture this creativity in children about thinking about um, thinking outside the box. So we run this creative challenge in this Facebook group called Unleash Your Creativity or Develop a Creative Habit, which is just kind of five, 10 minute exercises every day, which can help you think just a bit um, laterally or tangentially and just differently to, and, and observe the world in a different way. And that can actually help in whatever you're doing. And also run a Facebook group called Raising Creative Kids. And we have an art explorer program for children, which is all about encouraging children to be confident creatively from a young age. So it's quite interesting because the way you talk about art is still quite from like a scientific angle, which I find really interesting. Did you find it had an effect for you personally in terms of like feelings? Like when you started doing art, did you notice firsthand, oh, this does actually make me feel a lot better? Yes, and I didn't immediately form that link, but I always knew that whenever I did art, something creative, I always felt really happy. So for instance, when I was, I took a break 
from academia, I for the first time, because I'd been so busy, I hadn't done anything for a very long time. And then I started a life drawing class in the evening. And it it uh, it was kind of stepping out of my comfort zone. And just uh, sometimes you know, if you make excuses, like we're really busy and I don't have this time on once every on Wednesday evening to go to this. But I did. And I felt so happy. I actually felt really excited and happy about it. And then I talk also in other things about how I started pottery. And it, it kind of was again about stepping outside the comfort zone and our line of printmaking. It really calmed me down. So when because it's proven that when you're doing something with your hands, when you're doing something creative, it's like a meditative thing. It's a feeling of mindfulness. So, well, so you mentioned um, when kids a lot of times will say, oh, I'm not good at art. It's not judged well. And I think that's something everyone feels like I will want to do a creative thing, but like I'm not good at drawing. Mm. How do you break out of that mindset and just appreciate art for what it is? Yeah, I think it's, it's about... Um, doing exercises which doesn't focus on the end result because we focus so much on what we've created rather than the process. And it's always like, oh, that didn't turn out well, instead of thinking, oh, but I actually had fun with it or I can improve it next time. Or um, So it's about creating that kind of resilient mindset of saying, okay, I'll just focus on the process and it doesn't matter what I create in the end. And also thinking that things, everybody has a different expression. There is no yardstick by which we should measure creative output as well. So that's so down to taste as well. Yes. Like <laughs> someone will like your drawing of a penguin or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. Someone will love it. In terms of the art in itself, so as consumers, what can we buy from you? So we have a subscription, um, which is a creative... Hug, we call it a creative hug in a box, which is like um, encouraging self-care and self-compassion. So it comes with, it's themed according to the season or a different medium. Uh, and it has a particular medium. So for instance, if you have watercolors uh, one um, a month and it will come with um, eco-friendly bamboo pad, brushes, um, art, watercolors, um, perhaps some instruction manual or something to start off with so that you can just do very easy exercises if you, if you haven't done it before. But then other products like maybe uh, tea or some just bath salt or something like that, which which encourages people to take those five, 10 minutes. And it's about saying that Sometimes we think, oh, we, I don't have enough time in the day. I don't have an hour to sit down and do it. But it's all about just finding those 10 minutes. And even 10 minutes can make a huge difference in the day as well. So it's about giving yourself permission to have those 10 minutes. And I know from my own experience, I always felt guilty for having those 10 minutes for myself. And that might be true for many women uh, as well. For, and also some men, because you feel like uh, selfish for doing that. And it's about self-compassion more than self-care because we show kindness to everybody else, but we should really show kindness to ourselves as well. So this box is kind of something that you can keep and do, but it encourages you to take just something for yourself, just those five, 10 minutes for yourself and do something with your hands and mm. have a cup of tea with it or have a bath or have a face pack or, or something um, nice to eat. Yes, and helping sir. people to be creative if they're, if they're thinking, well, I'd like to try some arty stuff. Yes. But, you know, if they're the sort of person that thinks, oh, I'd quite like to do some arty stuff, but, you know, I've wandered into an art shop and, I, <laughs> you know, there's just paints on all of the wall. Yeah. I don't know what to buy. So, yeah, you basically send them some stuff and they can have a go with it. 
God, yeah, exactly. And it's a different medium every month. So watercolors or pastels or pencil colors, you can try different things and find out what you really love. And you can even buy one-off boxes of gifts for people as well. So you can send them as a gift to somebody that you think might need that. Mm. Um, but there's a subscription as well. And there's a ch children's subscription called the Art Explorer Box which we design in-house completely. And it's focused on one art or one artist, one art techno um, technique every month. So, for instance, we've done Monet, Matisse, Carlo and Picasso. We have booklets and we have lots of different exercises related to their paintings. So it's about introducing them to different ways of doing art or different ways, but also forming links between different subjects. So it's not just art, but that's all about, also about science and it's about history and it's about geography and saying that it's not something that doesn't exist in isolation and have these little exercises that so it's very different from other art subscription boxes for children so it doesn't have just one project that they do and then forget about it and it's about self-expression so creating your self-portrait or thinking more deeply about these things and analyzing them. I think what you were saying about struggling to kind of justify and find time for yourself is so true I think everyone feels like that but it's also about kind of where you put your self-value. I think you were saying before where you were your work and you were a mother and the reason you were doing things was because you were a mother. You're now doing something kind of quite unconventional. How are you dealing with that change? How do you kind of make sure your self-worth isn't tied to that one thing? <laughs> That's a really interesting question, actually, because I've thought about it a few times now. But I think I'm not now constrained by just one career choice. So this is not the only thing that I'm doing. I'm ex uh, it's, it's truly about a multi-hyphenate career or a portfolio career. So I write and I speak and, and I, I do a mentoring and um, it's a lot of different things. So it's kind of bringing the whole of yourself to the table and it's not your self-worth is not just linked to one thing. So I'm a parent and I am a wife and I I do things in the community and I run a business networking group for women and I do other things and I write a lot. So it's different aspects of me and I enjoy each of them in different ways. And uh, you can do stuff just for yourself yes, as well. Yes, exactly. They are a lot for myself because I, I, they are making a positive impact and I try and do everything that wouldn't ch make some change in some positive, meaningful way. But ultimately, it really um, satisfies me. I think that we're slowly getting back to the idea that like being creative is a good thing and it's good to do things without a kind of productive purpose at the end. Like you can see that with the colouring in trend and the dot to dot trend, which I got into briefly. Yeah. Have you been involved in colouring? So I know it's a big trend and I know lots of people find it really relaxing and nice and that's great, but it's not for me, I'm afraid. Like, do you think it's like a childish thing? I know a lot of people are like, you're just grown big babies for doing it. No, no, not at all. In fact, kind of almost the opposite. So I really like hanging out with my niece and nephew and doing creative stuff. So like making stuff out of plasticine uh, or Lego or just basically, I really love sitting down with them just with white sort of blank pieces of paper or blank card and then just drawing monsters or any old robots, anything um, and just or just squiggles from nothing. But what I struggle with, actually, is something that's already like half done. That's why I don't like colouring in, because I feel like I don't <laughs> I don't like sticking to other people's guidelines. You're I so want... edgy. <laughs> no, but I don't want like I don't want to stick to these 
drawing it's like when I mm. see someone else's drawing I'm just like well it's pretty much done now what's the point that's fair I think like I'm it depends when I'm feeling low like if I'm in the middle of depression or anxiety mm. the idea of like a blank piece of paper to me is terrifying because mm-hmm. I'm just like, well, I'm going to mess it up. And like, even though I know no one will see it, it's like, well, I, it's going to be bad. So I think when I'm in a bad place, colouring is like a good access point. It's like, okay, just, you can do this. You can colour in a letter or you can colour in this animal. Mm. And same with dot to dot. It's just like, you know, one step at a time, there's no pressure. And then when I'm actually in the mood to be creative, actually having the freedom and being edgy like yourself. No, but I mean, I do admire people that have the patience to colouring nicely and do it properly. You know, when I see sort of people who've done it, because you get really intricate colouring in books, mm. don't you? And people, you know, create beautiful things. And that's lovely. I think half of it is I don't have the patience for that. And half of it is, yeah, I like to sort of have the, the blank page to start with. And yeah, when I'm sort of in sort of maybe not a great place and I, I'm trying to do something creative or someone suggested that I do something creative. Yeah, I think it... it because I'd, I'd probably be quite frustrated about not getting it perfect, which yeah. I know sounds really silly because it's just colouring in. But if I felt that I wasn't doing it right or I wasn't happy with it, that would probably make me more upset. So, yeah, I think for me, it's more about just like sheet of paste paper, like a load of pastels. And then, yeah, if I'm in a bad place, just, you know, um, you can't see what I'm doing here because I realise <laughs> I'm on a podcast. On the table. But, but literally just sort of, you know, scribbling or drawing. I yeah. think one thing that... I may have mentioned on this podcast before, but I think it's amazing. My brother got it for me. It's called a Buddha board. Mm-hmm. And basically you paint on it with water and after about a couple of minutes, it disappears. So you get the kind of joy of drawing and stuff, but it doesn't really matter what the end result is because it will go. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of nice because it gets rid of the perfectionism side of things because it just it doesn't matter if it's, if it's shit. Yeah. It's going to disappear in a few minutes. And I found that weirdly like, very very helpful kind of get gets you to step out of the perfectionism side of things yeah what i find like for some reason it kind of i get less sort of uptight about is definitely stuff to do with pottery i loved what um Fragi was saying about yeah doing stuff with your hands mm-hmm. like making stuff out of pottery because um, even if i make something really bad out of pottery it feels like it's more of an achievement oh yeah because it has sure. a purpose so like if you make a really bad mug or something or just a really bad vase it doesn't matter because you can put flowers in it exactly so yeah mine is baking anything baked oh, no one's gonna I be like love oh, baking. why did you bake that yeah you've made something amazing like over the weekend my boyfriend um, said he wanted meze for dinner mm-hmm. and just wanted like pita bread and stuff like that. And I was like, I'm going to make Spanaka pita and fresh bean stew. What is that? It's great. Spanaka pita. Yeah. It's like this um, Greek pastry. It's layers of phyllo pastry with feta mm-hmm. and spinach. But it's just, it's delicious. If you haven't had Spanaka pita, you should. Yeah, it sounds it's, really nice. It's incredible. But there's something very therapeutic definitely about baking. 100%. I've, yeah, because it's... Yeah, it's so lovely. Partly, I think I find it nice because it reminds me of my, my grandparents because mm. they, you know, my great-grandma, my grandma taught me to bake. So I, I think of them when I do it. But also, it's just one of those things that's like, I feel if you follow the instructions, then it generally turns out all right. Yeah. Like, I mean, on right occasion, you might burn some stuff, but generally it's, it's and even a safe sort of area. kind of relax a bit, even if you're like, I'm not going to follow the steps, I'm just going to kind of chuck it all in. Yeah, it mostly works out fine. Yeah, we should actually do an episode on baking because I have so much to say about. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, it's a massive topic for me. Some kisses goodbye from mentally old.
If you've been affected by any of the issues we've discussed today, please contact the Samaritans on 116-123 or go to the website at samaritans.org. You can follow us on Twitter. It's Mentally Yours, which is YRS at the end. Also, we have a lovely Facebook group that's just called Mentally Yours. Come and chat to us. We talk about all things mental health. Um, It's not just the podcast. It's basically, yeah, all things to do with our brains. Thanks very much to Sam Bonham for producing, to Lucy Baker for our jingles, and to Pragya for chatting to us about mental health. See you next time. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.